My name is Randy, and uh, one of the teachers. Uh, last week we looked at statements of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, where we have been now for some time, about issues of the heart, um, particularly uh, related to relational brokenness. In Matthew five twenty one and twenty two, Jesus said, "You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you shall not murder." And whoever murders will stand condemned before the law. But I tell you, everyone who is angry will, with another will stand condemned before the law. Whoever says to someone, Racha, will stand condemned before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you idiot, or other blankety-blank words, will be condemned to the fire of Gehenna. Here Jesus describes a progression of relational brokenness that's a picture of the perishing life that Jesus speaks about quite frequently, actually. From negative thoughts in the heart and mind, anger, to outbursts of verbal contempt, raha, to hateful, vile cursing. You idiot, or other words that we might use today. You blankety-blank. Rather than merely restating Old Testament law, do not murder, telling us how bad that is and how bad we are for doing it, Jesus sidesteps that and goes to the issues of the heart. Elements that are related to human brokenness, our own as well as others, that create the space for such an atrocity as murder. Is Jesus minimizing or making the Old Testament law, do not murder, irrelevant? No. But he's going beyond the law, like he referenced earlier. And he's dealing with the heart and with human brokenness. He's inviting us to become aware of our brokenness and to seek his life, his empowering presence for seeing our own hearts be transformed into his heart. What good would it do to you for me to teach a sermon on do not murder? That is probably irrelevant for everyone in this room, unless I really don't know some of you very well. Does that make sense? Jesus is bringing a fresh word, a more expanded word. Is he not? Is he not clarifying issues of the perishing life that we deal with every day, such as hostility or anger or vengeance or whatever? That are problematic, that do challenge our most intimate relationships. As we read and study the teaching of Jesus, including the Sermon on the Mount, it is, it is vitally important that we not see what he is saying as a new set of commandments, rules, and regulations. Rather, Jesus is talking about and describing two kinds of life that are present and available and lived out by us every day. 
the first kind of life that's the most familiar. It's the easy path to follow, wide it is, and many they are that go there, the perishing life. This is life focused around me, having the world the way I want it, what I think is best for me, and it ultimately leads to isolation and destruction. It is the life that leads to divorce. It's the life that leads to withdrawing from relationships for concern of being hurt again. It's the life that leads to believing falsities as a result of offense that can even come from misunderstanding someone. The second kind of life, the life that's much less familiar and hard in one sense is God's kind of life or the eternal life as Jesus often calls it, the kingdom life living in the kingdom of God. This is the life focused around having the world the way God wants it, the way that is best, the way of love, what is best for others as well as for me. And it comes through Jesus who is the only true life, the only way. In the next few verses following Jesus' description of anger, contempt, and vile cursing, Jesus is going to describe examples of relational reconciliation that demonstrate and express actions and the kind of heart of one who is living within the realm of God's kind of life. And he's going to provide us an illustration that can point us to how to experience and live that kind of life. Before we move into that, though, let's pray. Jesus, I'm reminded of your, your words. You have heard it said. But I say to you. And I think there's a great deal in Scripture that we have heard it said, but have not yet fully grasped what it is that you are saying. Would you please open our eyes to see? Would you open our ears to hear, our minds to reflect, and our hearts to take in your loving invitation to the kind of life that we were destined, created, and are made to live. And as we uh, walk through the journey of these passages from the Sermon on the Mount that we have heard it said about. Would you give us eyes to see what else is going on? In Jesus' name, let it be so. Jesus gives us two examples, two parables, two life uh, experiences about what it 
the kind of person who lives in the kingdom, how they might live in a particular situation. Matthew 25, 23, and 24, the first. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. In Jewish life, presenting a sacrifice to God was one of the holiest moments in one's life. Think about that system of, self, of sacrifice. The animals going to the temple, that experience of religiosity, the nation, the priests, it's a really big deal. It was the means and way that many understood to have a connected relationship with God. Too soft, but it might parallel the idea of us in prayer confessing our sins to God. Maybe not so distant a parallel. But suddenly, right there in the midst, thinking of that temple circumstance and situation, a person standing there, having brought this gift of sacrifice to, for the purpose of restored relationship with God, they're reminded of someone with whom they have a broken relationship. Perhaps as a result of something you have done. Realizing how important it is for that person, pained by the broken relationship between yourself and them, you turn from that holy ritual, you turn from that holy moment of connected relationship with God and leave to find them seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. Think of Jesus' day and how horrific that would have sounded to the religious leaders. How unholy, how unsanctified. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus is purporting a kind of life that is completely contrasted to the life that we know it in our world. What's holy, what's not holy, what leads us to God, what pushes us away from God. What are those things that are causing the broken relationships in our homes with our spouses, between us and our children? Jesus' use of this example is reminiscent of Hosea, verse 5, 6, an Old Testament passage really reflecting the same idea that Jesus is here, only taking it a step further. Jesus taking it a step further. Hosea 6, 6, I desire loving kindness and not sacrifice relationship rather than burnt offerings.
in another place. The prophet references God saying, your, your, your sacrifices are worthless, meaningless. They're a stench to my nostrils. Why? Because their hearts were not present. They were living out religious duty, following the rules and regulations, but not living the life. Does that make sense? That's what the Sermon on Mount is about. It's about the life. It's not about rules. It's not about getting it right and doing this right and not doing that. For those with God's heart wishing to live in His eternal kind of life, relationship and reconciliation will be of greater importance than religious duty and activity. And for me, I, I was startled to think about how this example highlights the attentiveness of those who live in the eternal kind of life to the voice and prompting of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the individual standing there giving their gift at the altar of reconciliation to God was previously unaware of the offense. What if this was a moment of hearing the voice of God tapping them on the shoulder and saying, remember what happened with John? Remember what happened last week with your spouse? It's great that you're here at church. It's awesome. Glad you came. But there's something more important. Love. Love's more important than religious activity. I wonder if those living the eternal kind of life would would be so sensitive to God, so able to sense and trust His leading that they would act upon it, even without previous knowledge. But the reality is most of us are fairly aware of the brokenness of our relationships with others, including our spouses. I shared a couple weeks ago, couldn't have been a couple weeks ago, I taught last week for the first time in six weeks and I'm just using it as an example, historically, in my 20s and 30s and 40s, probably, when Claire and I would have a disruption in our relationship as a result of some kind of conflict, um, we would spend a few days having a business-like relationship. We have kids, not, not in the early 20s, but later, kids and jobs and church ministry, of course. We've been in ministry since we were 20. And days would go by and we're simply cordial. And eventually, the grace of God, His mercy, His transforming power in our lives, we would come back together and we would interact and I would say, I'm sorry, because <laughs> I was usually the culprit. She had her own stuff going on, but 
what I shared last week was, you know, it doesn't take us that long anymore. While it's happening now, predominantly, not always, but a whole lot more, while it's happening, we're both aware and we humble ourselves. We take responsibility for our actions and our words and we say, hold it, I'm so sorry. What's really important in life? Is being right the most elevated thing in human life? We live as if it's so. The next one's going to deal with that even more. Let me find my notes again. I think it's important to acknowledge that reconciliation with another person requires the willingness on both sides for reconciliation. And we, we're not responsible for another's willingness to reconcile. We can't make that happen. We simply can take responsibility for ourselves. And I appreciate very much Paul's statement in Romans 12 that has helped me a lot. And, and it might sound a little bit like, okay, it's a way out, but it's not really. But it's still important. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. That happens to come in a context of human conflict, brokenness of relationship. We don't control outcomes. We're not responsible for them. But are we doing all? Have we done all that we can? I had a, a, a circumstance. Wow. Circumstance that I caused back probably in my late 20s in my broader family. Uh, where someone was hurt. And I was following what I understand to be appropriate religious practice at the time. And a couple of times, a few times, I reached out to try and communicate my uh, sorrow and regret at the hurt that I caused. Email, letter, phone calls unanswered. And um, last February, I had the opportunity to see them face to face at my eldest brother's memorial service. And I was able to humble myself. I, I, I literally was watching for any first opportunity to communicate my sadness in heart 
at the hurt I had caused. And it was a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. Have we done all? Jesus highlights our involvement in spiritual activity. This time specifically connected to relationship with him. Ah, sorry. I stepped past my, my, my eyes. I'm blurry, yeah. <clears throat> Does our heart genuinely long for reconciliation? Have we done what we can? Do we refuse to substitute religious activity for genuine acts of love and care for others? Do we grieve for the pain that others' anger is causing them and perhaps to others around them? Someone with a kingdom heart seeking to live in the ways and life of God will seek for healing and freedom for others as much as for themselves. And while Jesus does not reference our forgiveness of others in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he does later. And a connected aspect of seeking reconciliation with others is not only to seek it when others have an offense against us, but is seeking the reconciliation with others when we have offense against them. Mark 11, Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. In this statement, Jesus again highlights our involvement in a spiritual activity, this time specifically connected as to relationship with Him. Clearly, one with a commitment to maintaining a kingdom heart and living God's life in contrast to this perishing life, the easy life, will be someone who is, as described before, sensitive to the voice and prompting of the Holy Spirit. You're in prayer to God, my goodness. And in that activity, we're provided a tap on the shoulder. This is really cool, Randy. Really glad you're here with me. I love having devotions with you. What about what happened the other day with your coworker? Or how you were driving? a voice and prompting the spirit, willing to take action to deal with brokenness in our relationships through extending forgiveness to others. And I believe this verse would support that, as the previous verse we read, as far as it is possible with you to be responsible before God. That's the kingdom heart. That's the kingdom life. That's what a person who is living in this eternal kind of life of love would do. He's not giving you a commandment. He's describing a kind of life, a way of being that he has provided entrance to. Not just heaven when we die. God's life now. Let's look at the second statement he makes in Matthew 5. Issues of the heart, reconciliation versus judgment. 
Be considerate and kindly minded, seeking reconciliation with one who accuses you. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's deal with that whole second half for a minute. I can say the answer in a second. Jesus is describing a perishing life. He's not saying anything about the eternal kind of life that he has involved. Not the last second. He's not saying anything about eternal judgment. He's not saying anything about the white throne judgment of God. He's not saying that you could, as a Christian, be judged. He's simply painting a picture of life, of the perishing life. This is what happens. This kind of brokenness, this kind of what happens in a person's heart. You go to jail in your life, in your heart, brokenness. You have no friends. You have no relationships because you're living out the perishing kind of life. Don't do that, Jesus says. So don't get hung up on that. We're not even going to talk about the last half. It's it's simply a picture of the perishing life, in my opinion. But be considerate and kindly minded, seeking reconciliation with one who accuses you. Now that's at the heart of what Jesus is saying here, right? Eternal kind of life, perishing life. He's not addressing right and wrong. He's talking about a condition or nature of our heart. You become aware of someone's accusations about you. It's possible those accusations are entirely false. You may have every right to defend yourself and prove to your accuser and the world how mistaken they are about who you really are. And how is your heart towards them? Jesus asks. You feel judged. Falsely, maybe. Are you angry? Are you now judging them? Is there any sense of retaliation, wanting to redeem your character, but get back at them and make sure the world knows how they are falsely accusing you? Perishing life. You're going down that path. Be considerate and kindly minded. Wow, really, Jesus? But I'm, I'm falsely accused. And so was I. And how did I respond? Like an innocent lamb led to the slaughter. Acts 8, 32. Jesus was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. But that's not fair. Yeah, and? Yeah, friends, the perishing life's the easy life. Sort of. 
<laughs> it's what we naturally do and live every day. In the words of Jesus from Matthew, I want to just suggest Jesus does not advocate silence. He advocates reconciliation. But I think surely there would be times for silence. Again, our perishing life is very committed to being right and making sure that the world knows that we're right. Jesus is saying, consider the accusation, and if there is fault, acknowledge it. Ask them for forgiveness. Seek it humbly. Pursue them for reconciliation. This morning during worship, I was thinking about this, and it's typically, um, bring, bring, Dave, bring back the previous verse, the one from the Matthew text. It should be right before this, I think. Now, backwards. There you go. So typically, um, this passage is talked about as uh, going to court or being sued. I, I, again, I, I don't think Jesus is talking about real life there, but it is a, it is a parable. It's an example. And so it's kind of easy in, the, in most of the translations is, you know, when somebody's taking you to court, you know, talk with them first is how that passage is sort of normally. Well, nobody's taking me to court. I've never been taken any. Don't, don't answer the question. And we, again, what, what relevancy does that have to me? Well, let's bring it down into the house. You wake up in the morning and you're grumpy. And the bathroom's blocked because your son or daughter's in there. Your teenage son or daughter's in there. And what's going on inside? Are we willing to let go of those issues with us. What happens to when your spouse is the one who has harmed you in some way? Are we willing to run to reconcile? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to do everything that's possible for reconciliation and restoration of our relationships? That's what love does. That's what God's life does. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Sacrificial love, laying down our lives for others. Being genuinely concerned for the other person's well-being, even over our own. The Apostle Paul reflects this same thing in Philippians 2, where he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for what's best for others. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, which I highly recommend, Dallas Willard presents a powerful definition of love. God's love. 
and the love that we're to extend to others. And I don't have it up there because I missed highlighting it in my own notes, so you don't have it, so you just have to listen. Love is the genuine inner readiness and longing to secure the good of others. Love is the genuine inner readiness and longing to secure the good of others. That's God's love. To live our lives concerned and ready to do what's best for others. That is a picture of Jesus' heart, of a kingdom heart, of one who is living in the realm of God's eternal life. To have this kind of heart and express this kind of life does not mean we have to give in to the demands of someone who is accusing us or demanding of us. It means to be genuinely committed to what is good for them, to seek their well-being. And it may even require that we not give in to them. I do not advocate standing silent as a lamb before the shearers if you are in a physically or verbal abusive situation. The perishing life or eternal life, God's life. Every day we face circumstances, situations where we have opportunities to choose one or the other. And most of the time, those are pretty little things. Not so significant as the examples that Jesus has given us. Things like what lane we're going to drive in, how we're going to respond to a grumpy coworker, what words we say when we find someone is hit and run our parked car. As we consider Jesus' teaching about anger, contempt, vile cursing, reconciliation, forgiveness, love, and care for others, let me ask you a question in conclusion. How much of this kind of life are you capable of doing on your own? Just think back to this past week. How'd you do at living this eternal kind of life of love on your own? And if your answer is mm, not much, then let me ask you another question. Why then are you always trying to do these things on your own? Because it's what we do. It's the life we know. And it's the perishing life. I want to conclude our consideration this morning with an amazing statement of Jesus that we've heard, and I suspect we've never really heard what he was saying. Come to me, 
all you that are weary and carrying heaven burdens, not being able to experience the eternal kind of life, and I will give you rest. Get in the yoke with me. Watch me. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For life connected to me is easy. And my burden is light. Friends, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I'll say it again maybe every week for the rest of the life, left of my life on this planet. God's not looking for you to do anything on your own. Not a thing. Not confession of sin. Not being nice. The eternal kind of life has to do a, as a with God life. We're living life. We're doing our job. We're driving our car. We're getting ready to go on a trip. It, what, it's a with God life. That's the eternal kind of life. Anything we do without God is an expression of the perishing life. Now, are we bad? No. It's just who we are. But it's not who we have to be. And it's not who God wants us to be. Because the perishing life sucks. Thanks for that smile, David. Let's pray. So I'm going to with your eyes closed, I'm going to invite you to consider how you doing with living in a with God life. now I'd like you simply to ask God, what do you want to say to me this morning? Father, Jesus, Spirit, what do you want to say to me?
Jesus, thank you for your invitation to true life. It is what we truly long for. But there's so many glittering things, things of this world that are distractions. And we lose focus. Our eyes drop to the things around us, the way people treat us, the way we're feeling. Thank you that you are with us even then. Even when we're forging ahead, doing our own thing. You are with us and you love us. You are good. And we embrace your goodness. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Thanks for hanging out today. Uh, hope you're encouraged to live a with God life this week. Talk to a good friend about how you did this week in your life with God. We're doing that on Friday nights at our house. It's a part of what we're doing of becoming a discerning community. Uh, you're welcome to join us in that. But you can do it as well in your own life and family. Blessings. Love you. Have a great week.